welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the Give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa, and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy! How many were here last week? So we are, we are actually, and if you were not here last week, I would really encourage you to go back and listen to last week's message because it paves the path for what I'm doing this week. In fact, so much so that this is part two. So if you didn't hear last week, you're going to miss some things, and you will have probably some questions. You will probably have some uh, opinions. You'll have some comments. But I would encourage you, before those opinions, questions, and comments, go back to last week's message and have a listen, because I know, I know that I know that I know that it will really help you frame what I'm going to do this morning, I told you the last couple of weeks, like, we're moving into a season of really teaching on the gospel, really diving deep into the basics. How many, how many know basics are important? The basics for anything in life, the basics are important. But when you can dive deep into the basics, it makes it that much more important. Because we want our foundation to go deep. This is foundational stuff. But if our foundation is shallow, guess what happens? We build a big building. Foundation is shallow. Storms come. Wind comes. What happens? Building crashes. We need a strong, deep foundation. You cannot build a massive skyscraper with a proper foundation. It will topple over. And so we need deep, what I call deep basics, to understand the basics in a really deep way. Now, I had a dream last night, very interesting, and it's part of a prayer that I I have for us as a house in this next ch- chapter of our of our of our life as a church, but also uh, for the the body of Christ at large. Often, when I dream, I dream uh, for the body of Christ at large, uh, not just for myself, not just for our house, but I dream. This is what God does for me. God has given me a platform internationally, and part of that platform is God will speak to me certain things that affect uh, the body of Christ overall uh, at large. And so I. Um, had this dream last night where we were in like our church, but it was not our church. It was a different auditorium. Um, but I, in my dream, I likened it to this is our community, but I knew it had to do also with the body of Christ. And in the dream, it was like I, I saw a sequence of two weeks, of two weekends, two Sundays. The first Sunday, it was like powerful. I could feel like the spirit of revelation on what I was teaching, on what was coming out. And I could feel the hunger in the room. The second week, it was packed, full, not a seat left, and you could feel the tangible hunger for the word in the room, and I feel like the Lord was showing me in this dream that that's what I want to do in this season of the church. I want to give a hunger again for the word of God, a hunger. You hearing what I'm saying? Like, the devil's mission is to raise up a generation who are biblically illiterate. The devil's mission is to raise up a generation that believes this to be fallible, not infallible. 
if he can get you to believe that this is fallible, there's fault in this book, and it's not absolute truth, then he's going to win you over. This is the beginning of all deconstruction out there. You guys familiar with that, the term? The deconstruction of our faith. I'm not talking about the renewing of our mind. Very different. The deconstruction of our faith starts with no longer believing in the power of this book. No longer. I was just with a leader this week at a, at a leader's gathering, somebody who's very prominent in our city, who's been leading for a very, very long time, married for years, and they were in ministry together, and I was at the table with him talking, and I asked them the question. We don't really know each other very well. I know he knows of me, and I know of him, and kind of through associations, and I asked him, how are you doing? And he, he just divulged to me. He's like, well, my, my wife and I are separated. And I, I was like, wow, you, you just volunteered that. So I was beginning to ask questions about what happened. And he began to talk to me about the challenge with his kids and the challenge with his wife and what was happening. And I said, well, what happened? What do you think what the on-road was or the on-ramp was? And he said, well, back in, I think, back when the woke joke began to kind of happen a lot more online and people started to get woke to the wrong things, and, uh, you know, um, the, my wife started to follow some of these people, and she began to doubt that the word of God was in fact infallible. That's what he said to me. And the moment that began to happen, everything in my family began to get dismantled. My kids, my wife, out of all, all the kids we have, I have one kid that loves Jesus. The other ones are, don't even know if they believe anymore. And that just makes me so sad. But this is, you guys, this is a common, a common thread across the board. The only way you're going to make it in life if you have a strong foundation, spiritually speaking, in the Word of God. I only heard a couple of amens. That's really sad. My, my two oldest girls right now, sorry to put you on the spot. It's part of being a pastor's kid. Um, but, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I've been working with them to be like, you know, I, my, my goal with them is I believe that I believe this with all my heart, actually, and I know this by, by just by fact, if you want to grow in your ability to understand wealth and finances and in wisdom, read the book of Proverbs. Study it. And so what I've had them, what they've been doing every day is they've been reading five verses from Proverbs every day, studying it, asking the Holy Spirit to highlight one, write one of the verses down, and then ask God, what is he saying through that one to you personally? I said, I believe if you can get through the whole Proverbs this way, I believe God will begin to change your mindset and he'll actually set you up to be able to handle money and wisdom one day. The, most, the wisest and the most richest of all the land wrote the book of Proverbs. And so I just believe if I can help as a leader, help the next generation get into this. Listen, youth, don't wait till you're like 40 years old to get to know the word of God. Get it to know, get to know it now. You want to be successful? Build your life on this book. It will be a game changer for you. And we as parents have to impart that into our kids. The sad thing is a lot of parents don't have a foundation in the Word of God themselves. So we're diving in deep today, and I just believe that if I can, my prayer is that even as I'm teaching today, you guys would feel a love for the Word of God and get hungry for it. Because if you can, I mean, it, it will change your world. Totally change your world. Are you with me? I, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like, am I dragging you up a hill? It feels like I'm dragging you up a hill. Are you here? 
Remember the conversation point. If I'm on the phone with you and you don't say anything, I'm like, are you still there? That's what I feel like in this silent, quiet theater. Are you still there? So I need your feedback, you guys. Okay, we're going into 2 Corinthians. We're diving into 2 Corinthians chapter 5 again. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, dealing with a bunch of false teachers. He's dealing with new believers, some new believers. He's confronted with this, this uh, notion or these, these people called super apostles, these really impressive leaders that have come in and have been misguiding in some ways the new believers. He's confronted with these super apostles. They think he's not legit. Imagine, these super apostles, these impressive guys that big followings on social media, big Instagram followings, they're looking at Paul the Apostle who wrote the majority of the New Testament. They're looking at him. They're like, this guy's not legit. He's not legit. He, he suffered way too much. Therefore, he must not be a legit apostle. He must not, must not be a legit leader because he's been suffering so much. He's been in jail. He's getting beaten. He's getting his butt whooped. I mean, he, people are coming after him. They don't believe in his message. I mean, he must not be an anointed, grace-filled apostle or leader because he doesn't have the same following that we do. That's what they were saying about Paul the apostle. Imagine that. They were judging based upon how the world often judges they were judging by the external fruit some, rather than the internal fruit. And you got to be careful with this. Sometimes there's external fruit that actually isn't God's fruit that the world has said is fruit. And we judge by that. Well, you have the big car, the nice car, the big house, the, you know, the successful business. That's all external fruit based upon how the world judges and measures. But God looks at the heart. Now, there should be fruit, but not the same way that the world sees fruit. We can read Galatians chapter 5 about the fruit of the Spirit. Kindness, gentleness, self-control, long-suffering, joy, peace, you know, patience. So, so many powerful things that, that, that all of us should be exhibiting, that all of us often struggle with exhibiting at times. So here Paul is addressing this culture. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. I'm going to reread it to you. Then we're going to dive in, nosedive right in. So from now on, we regard no one from human point of view according to worldly standards and values. We're not going to measure your success by worldly standards and values, like everybody else. Though we have known Christ for a hum from a human point of view, now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone, say anyone with me, anyone, if anyone, not just some, if anyone is in Christ, that is, this is the, ex this is the amplified version, so it amplifies and explains certain phrases in a little bit of a different way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that is grafted in, joined to him by faith in him as Savior, he is a what? New creature. A new, brand spanking new. New creature. Brand new. He's a new creature. Reborn and renewed by the Holy Spirit. The old things... The previous moral and spiritual condition have passed away. Not some things, the old things. Anything that represents the old version of you has been lit on fire. Remember the analogy last week? The old clothes. God just wants, doesn't want to just take your old clothes out of your closet and give you new ones. He wants to light the whole closet on fire and give you a brand new closet. A brand new wardrobe. It's new. Brand spanking new. It says here you're a new creature. 
the old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come because spiritual awakening brings a new life. Very important. Mark that as a mental note in your mind, spiritual awakening. This is what God cares about in your life in this season. There's a spiritual awakening to the things that are already yours, that are already within you, that are already at your grasp, that are already at your fingertips. That there would be a spiritual awakening to look, remind you that there is a closet, a new wardrobe with your name on it, full of the most amazing clothes that you could ever ask, think, or imagine. I'm talking about an inheritance. I'm speaking metaphorically here, not actual clothes. Hopefully you're catching that, especially for the youth. Metaphorically here. Verse 18, but all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, making us acceptable to him. What did he do? What did he do when he reconciled us to Christ? He made us acceptable to him. Why does it sound like we weren't acceptable? Because of sin. Because we had a sin nature that stopped us from really seeing Christ the way he wants us to see him. So there's an awakening that has to happen for us to see Christ. When that happens, guess what happens? That sin nature is cut away. Now you're going to have a lot of questions, but we're going to dive into this. That is that verse 19. Verse 19. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Interestingly, he says the world. He doesn't say some. He doesn't say those that call upon the name of the Lord. The world. He reconciled the world to himself. He reconciled, listen to this, you before you were ever even born and ever even sinned. How does that make any sense? He paid the price before you ever even existed. He reconciled you to himself. So does that mean that you're just born and you're automatically known, you know God? No. Because you need that spiritual awakening to realize that you have been reconciled. Do you know that when you confess sin to God, he does not forgive you? He already forgave you. Past tense. That's called the finished work of the cross. He died and he took the sin of humanity in his body one time. Hebrews says one sacrifice. There's no more sacrifice for sins left. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, guess what? There's no sacrifice for sins left. Therefore, when you sin, you confess to God not to be forgiven. You confess to God because you already are forgiven. That's why it's called good news. You simply align yourself through confession with what he's already done, past tense. This is the good news of the gospel. Otherwise, you're twisting God's arm to do something he already said he did. And he already did do. In fact, he didn't just die 2,000 years ago for your sin. He actually died before the foundation of the world began. That's the Bible, Revelation chapter 3, that the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world began. How does that make sense? It makes sense because the plan of redemption was already in place before Adam ever need or we ever needed a plan of redemption. God saw it ahead. It's been taken care of. So when we come to a spiritual awakening of who Jesus is, we simply align with what God has already done, past tense. That's why it's good news. You're like, wait a minute, I don't have to work. I don't have to work for my salvation. I don't have to, I don't have to, you know, try to, you know, 
pop a blood vessel in my head screaming to God to get him to forgive me. No, he already forgave you. You just have to align with that truth. Awaken to that truth. Remind yourself of that truth every day. You with me? So he reconciled the world to himself. Not, listen to this, not counting people's sins against them, but canceling them. And he has committed to us a message of reconciliation, that is, restoration to favor with God. So we are ambassadors for Christ. We represent him. An ambassador represents another. As though God were making his appeal through us. We, as Christ's representatives, plead with you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Now listen to this, verse 21. This is the key. He made Christ, who knew no sin, the word is judicially, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. It doesn't say he made Christ to sin. He made Christ who knew no sin to be it, to take on the likeness of the nature that covered our lives. Are you with me? Jesus did not sin, but he became in the likeness of sin. He who knew no sin became into the likeness of sin so that we can be reconciled back to God. Listen to this. He, he made Christ who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Whose behalf? Your behalf. So that in him we would become the righteousness of God. That is, we would be made acceptable to him and placed in a right relationship with him by his grace, gracious loving kindness. Righteousness simply is this. If you want to define it really simply, is to be, have right standing with God, to be Right side by side with him. I'm in line with him. To be righteous is to be in line with his principles, his values, his, who he is, his character, his likeness. To be in right standing with him is to be made righteous. We are made righteous because he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the likeness or the righteousness of God. Where did that happen? On the cross and in the resurrection. This is good news. Jesus did not, listen to this, Jesus Christ is not another religion. Christianity at the core is not another religion. It's very important we understand this. The good news of the gospel is not another religion. In fact, it was an announcement to the end of all universal religion. He dismantled all the powers and principalities. Every power of every false god he dismantled on the cross this is colossians been all disarmed he proclaimed the end to all religion this is why it's so scandalous you guys this is why it's a fine line not all paths lead to god Very, very, very important we understand this. Now, what did God exactly do to be sin? We're going to get into this again. He dressed up as a man. That's what God did. Write this down in your notes. When God dressed up, part two. You ever watch Mr. Dress Up as a kid? Man, I love that show. Anybody watch Mr. Dress Up? Man, he was like, I don't know, is he still alive? I don't know, but he is so awesome seeing him go in his little trunk and open up. I mean, at this point, as a kid, as an adult, I don't know. Was it sketchy? Was it weird? I don't know. But, I mean, as a kid, go up in his little trunk and he'd dress up and, you know, try to be something that he wasn't. 
to associate with something that maybe he needed to associate with, to relate to somebody. Some of the things I'm sure he dressed up with related to people that were watching on the screen, right? That's why you probably watched it. We dress up, people dress up at Halloween to be something that they're not, to wear a persona that they don't have. Well, God dressed up as Jesus over 2,000 years ago to relate to all humanity. To relate to all humanity. God, listen to this, very important we understand this. God made his appeal to man by becoming man. God dressed up like us so we could become like him. God permanently merged himself with all humanity through what we call the incarnation. Everyone say incarnation. Very important we understand what incarnation is. Not reincarnation, but incarnation. The incarnation is literally, it's stated in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. He, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin. How did he be sin? How did he become in the likeness of sin? He's God. He is spirit. He came as a man just like us. Right? I mean, even though Jesus was not born in Newsflash, he was not born in December. I don't know if you know this. Sorry to burst your bubble. Jesus, see, people still believe this today. Jesus was not born on December 25th. He was born around early fall. He was not born December 25th. Jesus, the incarnation began at the birth point. At the point where the Virgin Mary had the baby named Jesus. That's where the incarnation, the incarnation, the word incarnation, to understand this, we have to understand incarnation, is literally the definition of God becoming a human in Jesus Christ. Okay? This is the incarnation. It's Latin meaning in flesh. He came in flesh. God came wrapped in flesh. Jesus was wrapped in snuggly strips of clothing and put in a manger. But the skin of Jesus, he was flesh, but really he was God on the inside. He was fully God and he was fully man. How does that make any sense? Well, it's the mystery of Christ. If everything made sense to you, you wouldn't need faith. If you needed logic for everything, you would not need faith. Let me tell you, if you believe in evolution, you have, there's more, it takes more faith to believe that you were an accident made by a cosmic, a cosmos, a cosmos clash of matter. You were, you were an accident. It takes way more faith to believe that you have no purpose and you were an accident and that you were formulated from a monkey and that your ancestor is not actually Adam, it's actually a gorilla. Way more faith. Just look at East Side Mario's. I still don't get it. Or Montana's, whatever. That, that you know, the, it's over here, over, over here. I always see it, and I'm like, do people still believe that? I'm sorry if you do. But it takes more faith to believe in that type of evolution than it does for there to be a creator that created you with a divine purpose that had a plan to reconcile you back to himself. Just saying. So he who knew no sin became sin. He wrapped himself in flesh. Karl Barth says this, in the incarnation, God's identity is forever merged with humanity. God has chosen not to be God apart from humanity. 
Don't you feel, like, loved by that? I don't know about you. God came down, wrapped in flesh, to connect with us, to make himself relatable. Otherwise, it'd be this God in the sky, pillar of fire, pillar of cloud, you know, lightnings and thunderings, as we see in the Old Testament, without form. Moses said, can I see your face? God's like, no, but you can see my back. I'll show you my back. Look at my lats. He's like, woo. I'll show you my back, not my face, but I'll let my goodness pass before you. But then guess what? God ended up having a face in the name of Jesus. Jesus, the Hebrew writer in Hebrews says that Jesus was the exact representation of the Father. Jesus said about himself, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. You tracking with me here? God dressing up as us, for us, was part of the plan since the beginning of time. John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, the word already existed. Who is the word that he's talking about? Jesus, capital W, Jesus. And the canonized scripture that we have, the Logos word, is a full reflection of who he is himself as the word. This mic, like the glue is coming off, it's sticking to my hands here. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. Who was God? The word was God. John 1.14. So the word, listen to this, Jesus became human. The word became human and made his home among us. The word became flesh. Doing a little bit of recap here. I'm not going to do all the recap for you. Yesterday, or last week, sorry, we actually only landed on point number one. And I, point number one was how he dealt with our old clothes. He dressed up as a man to do three things. Number one, write this down as a recap, to deal with our old clothes. Old clothes symbolizing the old version of us. Old things have passed away. I respect my wife a lot. I'll tell you why. She has this amazing ability before she buys new clothes, to empty her old clothes out of her closet. I, on the other hand, struggle a little bit with that. But when I do, I feel like I just won. I won the lottery. There's things in my closet I'm like, I don't know, because, you know, my weight fluctuates. You know, when I was competing in, 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 in bodybuilding, my weight was fluctuating all the time. So I'm like, what if I, you know, get a little heavier, I get a little slimmer, maybe I need to have that, you know. So I keep it. My wife's like, no, done, get rid of it. And then she can put more clothes and new clothes into her closet. This is the, this is the nature of, of, of what God wants for our lives. We can't move into the new thing if we don't deal with the old thing. We can't become the real version of us if we can't let God deal with the old version of us. And how many in this room have old clothes cl- cluttering up their closet? Well, it's stopping you from being able to get the new clothes. So Jesus had to come and deal with the old clothes. Now, let me just to, to remind us about this for a second. Remember, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, for he made him who knew no sin. What's the word sin? The word sin is hamartia in the Greek. It's actually, from an, uh, uh, it's a noun, okay? It is not an active verb where it's an action. It's not speaking of like an action, like I do sin. He who knew no sin, not the action of sin, but the nature of sin. The the, the origin of sin he's speaking about here. The word sin literally just means missing the target. You only, you miss the target when your sin nature is leading you. 
You missed the target. Is that the Bible says, for all have fallen short, what? Of God's glorious standard. So God has a standard, okay? God has a standard. Righteousness is his standard. Over here is sin. When we don't know Christ and are not in Christ, all we ever hit is sin. We miss the target. The word Amarsha literally just means to miss the target over and over again. So he who knew no sin became sin. He became the origin or became into the likeness of the origin of sin, so we would never have to miss the target again. Are you with me? You're tracking with me. I'm just recapping a little bit. We talked about this, about where that nature came from in the garden, in Ezekiel chapter 28. We talked about iniquity. Remember, the word iniquity, which, would def- which defined Satan himself, broken down in Hebrew letters, literally means whatever your eye hooks into multiplies. That's what happened in the garden, Adam. And Eve, Eve saw the tree, was desirable to make one wise. With her eyes, her eye got locked in, and as a result, guess what multiplied? Sin into all humanity. Okay, you you with me here? Now, let me just say this. I don't know if you have the verse, but 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22 is a very powerful verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22. It says, for as in Adam all die. So in Christ, all will be made alive. That word all, you know what it means in the Greek? All. Powerful, eh? It means all. Think about this for a second. When Jesus, he planned redemption since the beginning of time. He planned it all. Revelation chapter 13. The Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world began plan of redemption was already in place. God knew what Adam and Eve would do, but God so loved human, human con- mankind, he gave them a, ch- a choice to love him back. It would not be love if God forced himself to love him, and so God gave them a choice in the garden. You can eat off any tree but, but one. If God didn't give them that option, it would have been like we would have been a bunch of robots forced to love God. There would be no option to sin. No option to choose independence. God gave them an option. So God knew that they would pick that option. So the plan of redemption was in place from the foundation of the world. Now, he says here, for all have died in Adam. What that means is everybody after Adam was born into a spiritual prison, dead to life, shrouded in darkness. All have died. But then he says, all have been made alive in Christ powerful. The born again, okay, let me just say it like this. You coming to Jesus is simply you just waking up to what he's already done for you. The seed is in all humanity. The seed of reconciliation is in all humanity right now. All your job is, as let's say a missionary, is to go wake that person up, to go wake that seed up. It's in everybody. Isn't that a powerful, powerful truth? That we're not trying to put something in somebody. We're trying to get something that's already in somebody to wake up within them. Did you hear that? We're not trying to put something in somebody. We're trying to wake up what's already inside of them. To say to someone that doesn't believe in Jesus, say, listen, you've already been reconciled, bro. You've already been restored, Let me help you wake up to that reality. 
It's the power of preaching the gospel. That's why people need to hear. When they hear, their eyes are open. Oh my gosh, I didn't know since the beginning of time. Jesus already paid the price for me. He's already reconciled me back to the Father. <sighs> Light it up. Number two. So let me, let me go to number two. To deal with the old clothes, he had to die in our old clothes. Very powerful, very important statement. To deal with our old things, our, let's call them clothes, he had to die in our old clothes. And why do I say it like this? Because actually Colossians, Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, verse 10, if you can put that up, Colossians 3, verse 10, he says, put on your new nature. You know what that word actually means in the Greek when you break it down? It actually means to sink into a garment of clothes. He speaks of your new nature like a set of clothes. Wear it. How do you wear it? By remembering the clothes that he gave you. How do you, how, when you wake up in the morning and you put clothes on, why do you think there are clothes to put on? Because you remember that in your closet there are clothes. The key to putting on your new nature every day is to remember he's given you a wardrobe. Stop going to your old wardrobe and wearing your old clothes. Go to the new one he created for you and put on those clothes. That's the new nature. So the reason why we, even though we've been free from sin, still sin, is because we go back to the wrong wardrobe. Because we forget this is the power of remembering. What is the whole premise of communion? He says, do this in remembrance of me. Do this to remind yourself what I have done past, present, and future. I am the beginning and I am the end. The alpha, he calls himself, and the omega. Do this to remember. When you remember, you renew your mind to remember, to remind yourself you have a wardrobe that you can wear every day. Okay, let's move on here. He died in our old clothes. Are you guys with me? Man, I, I, this is like, this kind of teaching is like, I feel like you're, you're going to school today. I can't, I, I can't do this without doing recap. You just can't. Magic, you say the magic school bus? Okay, back to our main verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. This word here, when it says, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin, everyone say to be sin. The word is to become a sin offering. Generosity is at the core of the gospel. Generosity is at the core of the gospel. Did you hear that? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave. Giving, generosity, he became a gift for us, an eternal gift for us. It's a sin offering. He became a sin offering. He offered himself on a cross over 2,000 years ago. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become what? A curse for us. He became the sin for us. He became the curse for us. He took on the likeness that was on, on over our lives to redeem us. Why does it say in Matthew chapter 27, verse 45 to 46, you know the story in verse 46, pick it up there. And about the ninth hour on the cross, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama, sabanschani, that is, this is what it means. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This was the first time in scripture that God, that Jesus did not use the word father to address him. 
He went from father the whole time to God. Because why? Because in one moment, he took on the likeness of sin that made him feel. He wasn't disconnected from God, but it made him feel disconnected from God so we would never have to act like we were disconnected from God ever again. Let me say it again. Jesus on the cross had to feel in one moment like he was disconnected from God so we would never have to feel like we are disconnected from God ever again. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. What does he say? I will not forsake you. Why have you forsaken me? In one moment, he became like us so we could become like him. You guys, this is the power, the nature, and the, na- the good news of the gospel. He had to feel this feeling of forsaken so that he could change our identity. You know that you are no longer a sinner. That's your identity. You're a son. Sinners are slaves. Sons are set free. Now you're like, wait a minute, we still sin. That's not your real identity, though. And the only reason why you still sin is because you forget. This is, the, this is the language change that you have to make. Or you're identifying with a foreign father. When you identify with God the Father as his righteousness, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. When you identify as that, you will live like that. When you forget to identify like that, you will live like you have a foreign father. The devil. You'll live like you don't know the father. Your identity is everything. Why do you think identity is the number one thing being attacked right now in culture? Guys, think about this for a second. I'm going to go on a rabbit trail. Think about this for a second. You read the Old Testament. You look at all the false gods, statues. They'd worship statues. Molech, for example. They would offer, mothers would offer their newborn babies in the womb of the god of Molech and burn them on fire. Culture. There's just one of many gods, okay? One of many false gods back in, the, in, in history. You can read about it. Crazy. If the demons are smart, what's, I'll give them a little bit of credit. They are smart. Even though they know their end. They're smart. Do you think, do you see anybody today bringing their kids to a statue god on social media and burning their kids? No. Do you think those demons just just are watching reality TV, just taking a break from humanity? No, they're just masked differently. Now they're like, hey, if we can get the government to allow people to bring their babies, pay for it, let's just call it a new name, abortion. If you can't see that, we can have conversations all day long. Listen, demons are the same demons from back then as they are today, just dressed up differently. They're just dressed up differently because the demons know, I can't get them with a statue in this culture and this time and day, so I'm going to dress up and look different. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deceive them. I'm going to get in through media. I'm going to get in through government. I'm going to get in through all these areas, and I'm going to make it permissible. And if we can make it permissible, the people will be sacrificing their children. They won't even, be, they won't even realize it. That's the greatest deception. Deception is not knowing you're deceived. Versus willingly going to a statue, hey, I'm willingly doing it. Hey, they're also deceived too. But now we're willingly doing it, but not knowing we're willingly doing it. Because somebody else that has authority is allowing it. You guys, we're up against the same stuff. Identity is being attacked. Number one thing being attacked right now over and over again. 
The only thing that you were to identify with is your identity as a son in Christ. Loving God the Father. You are no longer a sinner. You are identifying as the righteousness of God in Christ. The sinner was the old you. One of my friends said it like this. Your old identity, write this down. Your old identity was the fictitious alter ego you believed to be true. Your old identity was a fictitious alter ego you believed to be true. It's a lie existence, not the real you. Until you know the person of Christ, you do not know the real version of you. Paul writes this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. Listen to what it says here. For you died to this world, and watch what it says, and your new, real, real, everyone say real, life is hidden with Christ in God. The only way you find your real identity is if you search the person of Jesus. Some of you should be getting way more excited about this. We, we, we don't know our identity because we don't know Jesus. We don't know our identity because our identity is hidden in the one who created us. He is the word from the foundation of the world. He was. He is the I am God. When we search him out, guess what we find? Ourselves. Our identity as sons. It's hidden because of sin. It's hidden because we're not awakened to what he's done. A rejection of the gospel is hidden. And so what do we do? The enemy goes like, hey, you, can't, you haven't found Jesus yet, so I'm going to occupy you with all these other things that you can identify with. Well, I feel like a cat today. Wow. I'm going to be a cat. I feel like a dog. I woke up, and you know what? I have the wrong body parts. I don't feel like I have the right. God, you must have made a mistake. We think this way because we haven't searched the person of Jesus to find the real version of us. When we find the real version of us, we become, we, we become alive. Francis Dutoit was a doctor, theologian, wrote this, before you ever fell in Adam, before you ever sinned, before you ever fell in Adam, you already ha had been found in Jesus Christ. When you realize your association with him and in him, and that this is your true identity and true life, we find right standing with him. This is why John says in John chapter 1, verse 12, but as to many as did receive and welcome him, he gave the right and authority and privilege to become what? Children of God. What did you have to do? Receive him. That, that, what all that word receive in the Greek means? It means to identify with. Once you identify with Jesus, you are welcomed into the fold. We are, the enemy is going to get you to identify with all kinds of other things but him to keep you orphaned and disconnected when the good news is you've already been connected. You just don't know it yet. And it's a matter of time before that awakens and that shroud of darkness lifts off of you. It's called the sin nature. The moment you identify with him, you align yourself with the circumcision I talked about last week. He circumcised your old nature off of you. Man, this is so good. Jesus came to his own, but they did not grasp or comprehend him. They couldn't identify with him. 
came to his own. He came to his own people. They rejected him. The very people that had knew the prophecies about him, waited for the Messiah. He comes not the way he thought, not the way he thought they was going to be dressed up. They thought Jesus was going to dress up totally different. He came lowly riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. Like they did not think that he was going to come like that, a king that would change the game, that would change the empire. They did not think that he was going to look like the way he did. They didn't recognize him. They didn't identify with him. So what did Jesus do? What did Jesus say to these people that did not identify with him? Listen to this. In John chapter 8, verse 44, he says this boldly, for you are the children of your father, the devil. Because you're either identifying with one father or the other. You only got two options, guys. If you reject me, it's as though you are rejecting the father who sent me. That's what he said. If you reject me, you are identifying with another father. Everyone has a father. Which father is yours? Which father are you identifying with? Because if you don't identify with me, you're identifying with a foreign father. There's a name for him. We call him Satan. It says, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the what? The truth, because there is no truth in him. What, what, like, this is being attacked in society. Like, where's truth now? Like, this is, guys, this is the nature identity of Satan himself, masked as culture, fighting for your kids, fighting to destroy your life, but pretending to be something else so it can convince you that, oh, maybe it's okay. No, this is just Satan in different clothing. Jesus came wrapped in flesh. Satan is coming wrapped in media, social media, cultural narratives, and a whole bunch of other stuff. He's coming wrapped in all kinds of stuff. But for some reason, for the most part, generally speaking, so many people can't see it for what it is. I feel like we could just be present in these moments. And just take a thought, take a, take a moment to, to contemplate. Like I said this earlier, forgetting is always our biggest problem within our spirituality. I love what Francis Detroit says, listen to this, man's indifference to his true origin is the problem. This is what the gospel addresses with utmost clarity in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus has come to introduce man to himself again. Humanity has forgotten what manner of man he is by design. We have forgotten our true origin. Forgetting is everything. The problem was overcome of sin before it ever emerged. This is the power of the gospel. We think Adam came first, then Christ, but that is not true. Before Adam was God in Jesus in the beginning. The plan of redemption was already set in place. The prophecy, the very, you know what the very first pronouncement of the gospel was, where it was found? Genesis chapter 3. The very first proclamation of the gospel was found in Genesis chapter 3. Let's go there for a second. Sorry, I'm just going to keep teaching for a little bit. I've got to do this. Are you guys okay? Please. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. First ever prophecy that was the proclamation of the first ever gospel ever preached is found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And I will, speaking of God, will put 
enmity, which is open hostility, enmity between you and the woman, Eve. Remember, iniquity is whatever your eye hooks into multiplies. She saw the tree, and because she, her eye hooked into the fruit that was desirable, the Bible says, to make one wise. It was a false sense of wisdom. It was false wisdom. It wasn't heavenly wisdom. It was false wisdom. Sin multiplied into all humanity. So everyone born after Adam was born in and with a sin nature. Okay, are you tracking with me? So after this moment where they chose independence, this is the proclamation, and I will put enmity, open hospitality between, hospitality, hostility between you and the woman. Speaking of Satan, he's speaking to Satan right now. He's, God is making a proclamation over the serpent, over Satan in the form of a serpent. I will put open host, host, uh, hostility, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your seed offspring and her seed. Women can't have seed. I don't know if you know that. Women don't have seed. What was he declaring there? How does it make sense for her to put open hostility between the woman and her seed and her and his seed? How does it make any sense? It's the virgin birth. No seed required. God's seed, through Mary, virgin birth. This is the virgin birth prophecy. This is actually the first gospel message ever preached. And he shall fatally bruise your head, the seed, okay? So that's Jesus. So who's brutally bruising the head or crushing the head of the serpent? Who is that? Jesus Christ, crushing the head of the serpent. He's going to brutally bruise the head, and you shall only do what? So Satan, you'll only bruise his heel. In other words, you're going to mangle him a little bit. We call that the cross. You're going to mangle his body, but you're just going to do a little, little bit of bruising. He's going to crush you. You're going to bruise him. He's going to crush you. You're going to bruise him. All through, all through Mary. The seed, the Messiah, will come through the Virgin Mary. God in Incarnate, God in flesh. They actually call this in Scripture the Proto-Evangelium, which is called the first announcement of the gospel. It's the first announcement of the gospel ever made in Scripture. Isn't that powerful? Oh, man. Part three next week. We're going to have to go to part three next week. I made it through one point. Everyone stand up with me. Everyone stand up with me. Listen, I, my encouragement to you is to come hungry next week. This will change your life. I'll tell you something, and I'll be honest about something right now. The only t time I struggle, and I say this to say that everyone is in the exact same boat as me. The only time I struggle to be the version of myself I'm supposed to be for my wife, for my family, personally, in my relationship with God, the only time I struggle, you know what it is? Is when I forget that I have a whole new wardrobe available to me and accessible to me to put on every day. I forget. No one is without forgetting in here. No one, and that's why Paul, the apostle, recounts the story of Jesus at the Last Supper, and he, and, and he writes about Jesus saying, do this in what? 
remembrance because you're going to forget. You're going to forget. If you forget, it's like identifying with a foreign father. You've relinquished your identity. You've relinquished, you've surrendered your true identity on the altar of forgetfulness. Don't surrender or relinquish your true identity on the altar of forgetfulness in this season. Fight to remember. To put on that new nature every day. It's like clothes. Sink into it. Put it on every day. Wear it. Wear the kindness. Wear the gentleness. Man, we forget the hustle and bustle of life, responsibility, the stresses. It's so easy to forget. Wait a minute. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I, I am. I have. I am righteous before God. I am in right standing. Therefore, I should be producing this fruit, but it feels like I'm not, and it's not because I still have a sin nature. We're going to address this next week. Not because I still have that nature. It's because I'm forgetting that I was set free from that nature. I want us to put our hands up just for a few moments if you feel comfortable in this room. If there's anybody in this room that has never experienced the power of God, the power of of who Jesus is in this room. You've never come into a relationship with him. I just believe he's inviting you this morning. He's inviting you. And maybe you don't know who you are. Maybe you've been identifying with a foreign father. You've been identifying with, definitely not with him, not with God, not with who Jesus is. You've, you've been identifying with all kinds of other stuff to find security, to find stability. And maybe today you're like, yeah, I know. I know he's speaking to me. I know the Holy Spirit is speaking to me about how I've sacrificed my life on the altar of forgetfulness. I've forgotten what he's done. Maybe I never even knew what he did. Maybe today's the first time you've ever even heard this kind of gospel preached. You've heard another gospel, a gospel of works, a gospel of it's so hard, a gospel of rules, but you've never heard a gospel of good news that says it's already been done, it's already been paid for. All you have to do is receive it. All you have to do is accept it. All you have to do is be awakened to the reality that you've been reconciled to God. If that's you and you're in this room, you know, listen, the Bible says this, that if you just confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. That, is, that, that prayer is not going to save you, but that is the open door to begin to awaken you. So if you're in this room, you've never let Jesus into your life, I want to give you an opportunity, just with your eyes closed, just for a few moments between you and him. If that's you, just say, Jesus, I believe you're God. I believe that you were raised from the dead. I want you in my life. I receive. I don't ask for your forgiveness today. I receive your forgiveness that was already done on a cross over 2,000 years ago. I'm not asking for what you already gave me, God. I'm just saying, hey, I receive it. I, I come in line with it. I, I'm awakened to your forgiveness today. I'm thankful that you have forgiven me past, present, and future today and set me free. And you've reconciled me back to you in relationship and right standing with you. If that's you and you said that in your heart, that's the best decision you'll ever make in your life. And I'm proud of you for, for doing that this morning. For the rest of us, I just... I want us to keep our hands raised just for a few moments, and I want us to say this. Say, Jesus, give us a desire for your word. Now I'm going to pray over, over you something. God, I pray that every person in this room standing would leave with a new understanding of the gospel this morning. That there would be a powerful exchange, even this week, that you would unwrap the gospel like a gift throughout the week. 
begin to deepen their understanding, begin to help them to see the word for what it is. I pray that in this chapter of their life, God, moving into Christmas, that, God, they would truly understand the meaning of Christmas more than they've ever understood it before. They would understand the power of the incarnation in the form of baby Jesus even more. They would understand the story even more in this season of their life because they understand the gospel. The gospel came wrapped in flesh 2,000 years ago. And I thank you, God, that that wasn't the first time, but it was the first time that it came into humanity. And we thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you that you have redeemed us. I pray for your power to go forth, God, over to every household in this room, every household, God, every relationship, over your kids, over your jobs, over your careers. I pray for power, your power, Jesus, to go through every household this Christmas, every household that you would rearrange things that need to be rearranged. I pray for breakthroughs, God, promotions in their jobs. I pray for relational health, relational healing to take place. In Jesus' name.